Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He who outlives his day and comes safe home. will stand at tiptoe when the day is named. And rouse him at the name of Crispin. He that shall see this day and live old age. Will yearly... On the vigil, feast his neighbors. And say, tomorrow is Saint Christian. And he will strip his sleeve and show his scars. And say, these wounds I had on Christmas Day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages. What feats he did that day. Then shall our names Familiar in his mouth as household words. Be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by. From this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. So what you've just heard, obviously, is uh, Henry V's speech, isn't it? Uh, ben Kaplan, who played Smokey Gordon, that's something you've put together. Yes, it's something I've put together. I had a little idea. I'm sort of employed by the Royal Shakespeare Company at the moment, and they asked us during this lockdown period to get involved with a, a Shay or Shakespeare initiative by just sort of sharing videos online, uh, Twitter and, and Instagram, of people performing bits of Shakespeare, however which way they see fit. And I decided that it would be a really lovely thing to do on our 20th anniversary to be able to ask the cast, um, as many of the cast as I could get together, to record a line from the Henry V speech, um, not only as a, a momentum to the 20, or, or to celebrate our 20th anniversary, but also to be able to share a bit of Shakespeare and to bring us all back together. That's brilliant. Thanks so much for sharing. Oh my God, we are so, so, so excited. Oh, it's chaos here already. Guys, how are you all? How's lockdown? Shit. Shit. 
Uh, I'm having a great time. I'm having uh, a great time. Ross, you're in Italy. Uh, George, Mm. you're in Beirut. We've got people in London. Uh, Renee, where are you? Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Yeah, properly global uh, gathering of Band of Brothers, guys. Um, Let's just get cracking. Alina, give us a question. Oh, my God. This is so exciting. So, guys, (laughs) we're going to go around the room. Uh, did any of you have, have a personal connection with World War II before shooting Band of Brothers? Let's start with Bart Raspoli, who played Ed Tipper. My, my grandfather was, um, well, my mother's side, was a wing commander in the RAF, flew Lancasters wow. and Mosquitoes. Epic. And fi- we found out uh, my, about 15, 15, 16 years ago that he was actually uh, my 5 or my 6 whichever one it was, he was... He was in the Secret Service as well, and his, his, his records are sealed for another couple of years. Go ahead, Peter Youngblood Hills, who paid Shifty Powers. So, so my, I think it was my grandfather's cousin. Obviously, I think everybody was somehow affected and a part of, the, a part of that, had some sort of personal connection to it, to World War II. My grandfather's cousin was a, he was a ranger, and he died on D-Day, so that was basically... Uh, that was, I guess, it, you know, the most you know personal side of my family that was connected to it. But I mean, everybody was. My grandfather was an engineer. He was, you know, doing all sorts of things, and you know, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of things, a lot of people involved, a lot of effort going into it. Yes, George Khalil, who played Mo Ali. Yeah, uh, Pete and I are both kind of from Tennessee. Well, he's completely from Tennessee, and I'm kind of from Tennessee Uh and my granddad and his brother were both in the Pacific and my granddad's brother got a purple heart but I couldn't tell you where but I have it wow someone else is coming on they want to say hi hold on he said he'll pick up he just texted me on ladies and gentlemen say hi to Spears oh oh my god sorry got the whole team no! Oh. Hey! Hey! Good to see you. Really, Matt, get... that could actually make me emotional. <laughs> he is! It is. That is Matt, man. That is really Matt. Matt. Okay, could you guys yeah, hear me? there you go. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Alive! This is, what, this is what happens when you download an app on a bicycle. So, okay. <laughs> We're very honoured that you took the time to get off the bike and download the app. Well, it's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having oh, me. It's lovely to oh, see you. Uh, Matt. It's extraordinary. And now my battery's dying. Unbelievable. Uh, let's get a question in if that's all right. Please, yeah, please do. Please do. We're talking about what people's uh, connection to World War II was before Band of Brothers. How did you get ready to play a massive character like Spears? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I got to meet him. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but not before I played him. So uh, I guess fortunately for me, my character was in uh, E Company to start with. And so I took the first month, everybody else was shooting Curahy. And I, I went to Normandy and I took a road trip and went to the museums and, uh, you know, watched some gore porn about war and stuff like that. Just to kind of get a background and, you know, the bottom quality of what it's like to go through the harrowing ex- experiences. Um, talk to my uncle. Uh, he was D-Day plus two. Uh, talk to whoever I could talk to that knew any sense of war. And then, and I leaned on Dale Dye heavily. Um, I think 
one of the biggest uh, things that was helpful for me was when we dropped our names in boot camp. Um, we all started acting the part. We were calling each other by our characters' names. So that was helpful. How do you play it? I mean, the, the part was so well written. Um, the relationships uh, with all of our characters in boot camp. Um, hmm. I haven't, I haven't answered a question about Band of Brothers in 20 years, it seems like. Um, we but, are slightly uh, excited. We feel very honored. Like, yeah. Really. yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I guess, you know, growing up, I'd been around a lot of uh, reverence for war. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a great reverence for heroism and selflessness and people um, giving up themselves for the good of others. And... Um, I guess that was innate in me and because I was the youngest of my siblings and uh, they had a lot of respect for, you know, members of my, my family. My, all, everybody in my family was a veteran. Uh, my dad was, he just missed World War II and Korea. He was kind of right in the middle. But all of my uncles, Anzio, Normandy. Um, and so I, I grew up with a great respect for that. We always, I grew up in a church. So the church always like had ma massive respect for uh, people who had served in the armed forces. And uh, so that, that part of having reverence for it was easy. Um, as far as getting this sort of uh, mysterious, scary quality of spears that may have existed, uh, I, I don't know, maybe that was innate in me. It's kind of like uh, Jessica Rabbit said, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's... Uh, uh, so maybe it's just the way, you know, Rick, Rick, Rick Gomez and I can tell the same joke and nobody laughs when I tell it, you know, so Oh, dude, that's if not I, true. If I that is true. Of you is Jessica Rabbit fucking blowing everybody's mouth <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's gone somewhere. I pick, I pick up a fork off a table, everybody backs away. Rick picks up a fork and they're like, oh, you're going to make some art with that? What are you going to do? No. <laughs> so uh, I, think, I think sort of our chemistry, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a quality. We've, we've all lived other lives. And uh, so maybe I bring some of that karma into this life. I don't know. You believe in karma? Mark Lawrence, you played Dukeman. Your grandmother had a brush with Easy Company, didn't she? My grandmother, during the war, she, uh, she lived in a place called Swindon, which is about 10 miles from Oldbourne, where they were stationed just before they dropped into Normandy. And she was a bus driver, because obviously the women did the, the, me the men's jobs. So she drove the bus from Swindon to Oldbourne to pick up guys from the 101st and then drive them back into Swindon so they could go and get drunk, do whatever they had to do. So it's very probable that my grandmother drove Dukeman on one of those buses. And the joke is that he could be my grandfather. That's incredible. <laughs> And Philip Barantini, you played Skinny Sis. Your granddad um, saw the Airborne, didn't he? I, I was lucky enough. My, my, grand, my grandfather passed away um, not long ago, actually, a few, like a month ago or so. And um, he's missed all of this craziness that's going on at the moment, thank, thank God. But I, I was lucky enough to be able to take him to Normandy a bunch of times and to, to Bastogne as well. And Paul got to meet him and all of the actors got to meet him as well and he had this he, I didn't know this at the time but he told me this story he told everybody this story when we were um, in Normandy um, on October the 18th 1943 uh, the SS uh, what is it? Samaria Samaria that's the one it was it was docked in Liverpool and the um, the 101st 
um, got off in Liverpool and to buy, you know, uh, candy and cigarettes and stuff like that. And my grandfather was working at the dock in the docks at the time. He was just, you know, a teenager, and he saw them all, you know, getting off the getting off the ship, and um, and it was just a it, it's just an incredible moment for him because he, he was so 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 proud, you know, that they were they were they they'd come over and, and he, he got to see see them and then and then all these years later he's he's in Normandy he was he was a big World War Two fan and and he you know he was really interested and he had all the books and things like that and he he'd read the Band of Brothers book before I got a part in the in the show yeah no he got to see like <clears throat> you know to meet Paul and all the guys and got to experience that um, the way we got to experience it and he was he's been he was forever grateful for everybody for that um, and you know to, to sort of come full circle and and be a part of that the family our family all the actors <clears throat> he said to me i went to normandy with one grandson and i came back with a load of grandsons um, everybody was you know his family in the end and, and he stayed in touch with paul paul came to visit him in um, in liverpool let's talk about casting um it's the beginning of a masterpiece i know paul has something he wants to talk to dexter fletcher about who played john martin did you know there's a website out there where yeah. it, it talks about your character, Johnny Martin, your portrayal. You are the Willie and Joe reincarnated. Now, if you don't know who Willie and Joe are, that's that famous cartoon in World War II of these two bedraggled GIs. If you look, if you search on Google, Willie and Joe, you'll find the cartoon. These, these, these newspaper little, you know, three strip cartoons. And Willie and Joe were these just representations of your typical GI in World War II. And there's a website of, and this is this is used by serving American personnel saying that your portrayal of Johnny Martin you bring to life Willie and Joe and they're basically saying <laughs> you are the absolute stereotypical the guy who was always there that sergeant who was always <laughs> there who maybe isn't the one who runs over the hill with a machine gun but that guy who was always there and I just was, wanted to know whether you knew about that. I, 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 did, I didn't know about that. And I'm trying that's to... I'm, they, they, that's, uh, Scott's pulled it up now, yeah. Oh, uh, right. I, look, that's a, well, it's obviously a huge compliment. That's incredible. I, I mean, I think I, I certainly, as the actor that I was then, I wanted to be in it as much as I could, if I'm completely honest about my, you know... <laughs> you know, it's like suddenly we're, you, you, I hadn't worked for a long time and this was an incredible job. And you were in a sea of green actors all around the same age. So maybe there was an element of me of just being that grizzled. And I was, you know, I was about five, six years older than everybody else. I was in my early 30s when we started that show. I mean, I, I don't know. But I just, and I'd been around for a long time. Like Tim was saying, I'd been acting since I was a kid as well. And so I would just, I just made myself sort of like there. So I, I suppose there was a solid kind of uh, element towards, all right, I'll just sit here, I'll just squeeze myself in here. But if that <laughs> in somehow became, you know, because the thing about it is that only I know that and maybe the guys around me are like, oh, yeah, he's doing his thing. He's sort of, you know, leaning into the shot or whatever the hell it is that we all do at that age, you know, which is kind of par for the course. But if that starts to become part of the fabric of this thing, it's like I was saying, the... The, 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 what our personal experience are, is inside of it is, is irrelevant because we're representing that, the thing. That it, and, and if people start to read into it, oh, he's like William Joe. They start giving me that. And, and that's just the great byproduct of... Yeah. Of, I, I'm, not, I'm not articulating it very well, but 
you know, it, and that's a great thing. And that's what I was saying, that the thing is bigger than all of us and people give us that. It's the same, someone will be saying, you know, uh, Matthew Leach's character, he's just there for me. He's the guy. He's the one. I'm sure that everybody who loves the show as a favourite guy for various different reasons, you know, Spike, uh, you know, jumps out of, the, out of the fucking clouds of explosion and fires his gun. Of course, he's easy to love. And, you know, but there's other people who are going to have their characters that they just, they connect to. And I suppose that's part of the success of the show. That's part of the rich history that it gives. It shows all of these men, you know, we're all carefully chosen, you know. Uh, you know, Jimmy is, is cast because... Jimmy is Jimmy. There's something innate about him that a lot of people will be like, fucking love that Bacanti guy because, and that's, there's an authenticity to all of us about it, you know, and it's, it's a very wide range of an interesting, really brilliantly cast show. It's brilliantly cast. Yes, Rick Warden, who played Harry Walsh. I that's, think, yeah, I think we need, you, you Dex, we, we said it before on the one a few weeks ago, I think Meg deserves just an extraordinary amount. Oh, yeah. Amount. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. As well as the British casting directors who helped her, um, and there are a number of those, weren't there, ending up with Gary Davy, but also Debbie McWilliams. Debbie McWilliams, brilliant casting director. Well, let me ask you a question real quick, guys, so just you guys for a second. Do you think it was luck, it, it, it was Meg, or did we all get along, most of us, 99.9% .9 of us, because of the experience we were all experienced together, or was it... God, they, she got together a really good group of guys that are just kind human beings. What do you think? It's a combination of both. Let's go to Jimmy Maddio, who played Frank Picante. My bad thing is both. Meg had a lot of help, as you hear from Dex and, and you know, the, the London guys, um, casting directors out there did a, great, did a great job. Matt, do you want to add something? They're kind of seers or, or, or soothsayers in a way, I guess, because they, they have to... You have to look at you, look through you, imagine every aspect of your quality and say, this is going to fit in the chemistry with this person and that person. And I'm sure like everyone else, you went through a myriad of different characters. You probably read for more than one character. I know I read for Spears, Winters. Uh, I, I read for a lot of different In fact, I even got on the stage. Well, not a stage. I got up in the room with Tom Hanks when we were reading because I was so ready to read the Bastogne scenes where we were shivering and I'd been working on shivering so long to make it real, you know? <laughs> and nobody gave a fuck. Nobody cared, you know, said, least of all Tom Hanks. And I said, well, at least let me get it out of my system. I just, you know, three days doing <laughs> at least let me show you that I can shiver, yeah, damn yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and I said, you know, and I, I said, come on, get up here and do it with me. And he, he actually got up and read it with me. So somewhere in the, uh, the archive, at Lantana Center, they've got me and Tom doing a scene together that he just quickly said, this isn't you. <laughs> so I, I went outside. I read Spears in the hallway for about 30 minutes. And then uh, Meg came out and poked her head out and said, are you ready? And I, I went back in and just did a cold reading of that. And they were like, okay, good. Now go home and don't sleep. Memorize that and come back tomorrow. And I think that's kind of what happened. With, wow. with spheres, so. Let's talk about auditions. Uh, Tim Matthews, you played Alex Pencarlo. That was, that was an eye-opener even for those of us who had five auditions. George oh, had seven, yeah. I think. George would love I had, I had eight auditions. Eight auditions, there wow. you go. Tell us. He's making it up now. No, I'm not. I'm not. And I fucked up the last one so royally. It was the thing. I don't know, Tim, if you did it, you know, when you had to talk about the clicker. The cricket, not the clicker, the cricket. 
And, uh, and I didn't know what a cricket was. And instead of calling up Meg Lieberman and actually asking what a cricket was, I, I decided that a cricket was a real cricket. And I was like, I thought there was a cricket somewhere in Normandy. And the audition piece was like, <laughs> <laughs> <near> the cricket. <laughs> That's I was awesome. invented in this real cricket that was somewhere in the, in the hills. And they, I'm so lucky I even got a part. They must have wow. just been thinking. Jesus Christ, who the fuck is this guy? I was like, did you hear the cricket? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jimmy. Well, Tom Hanks was in my audition room. Yeah, yeah. Stephen was Friends in us. my room. So these guys were picking in who they wanted the guys to be, and they were mixing and matching me with a few of you guys to see who's fitting and who's not. You know, I was looking over at Frank John Hughes, and I was looking over at some of the other guys, Neil McDonough and, and, and the Rons and all these guys that we were – Pitting, you know, mixing and matching for hours, and uh, you know, they were in the room picking them. So, I, you know, I think a lot of people had a had a hand in, in choosing. I think that's why I went in six different fucking times over six months. It's the same for the rest of the Brits as well. You went to the audition, and Hanks was there with his big beard, right? And you went in, you went, "Oh my God, it's Tom Hanks looking like he's just come off a desert island." And you hit your scene, and and they'd look at each other, and there was some sort of understanding, and you'd go away, and you'd stand outside, and goes. What the fuck just happened? Did I? I don't know. Same for you. That's Rick. pretty much my experience. What Dex had. Yeah, it's and it yeah. was. But I think that they they knew what they were doing when they. I, I must be the same for you, Ross, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, they got a, they got a whittled down. I mean, I, I I was relatively lucky in the fact that um, I know a lot of guys ended up like Jimmy doing six months of auditioning. Um, mine was the first one was with Meg uh, Lieberman at the Anthonyum Hotel, mm-hmm. and then. Um, when I left, she told me as I was leaving, I want you to come back and meet Tom next week. So she told me in a room, you're coming back next week to meet the governor. Um, so the second one was to go meet Tom, same as you were saying, Dex. Yeah, it was, you know, that it was a lovely time. You had a good old time and he joked around with you and you joked around with him and he'd stand up and he'd play a little bit with you and then you'd finish your, your, your bit. He'd nod, yeah, good, all right, hey, see you, soldier, you know, and you'd go on your bow your way. And then, um, and I don't know if you guys were aware of this or, or whether it was just a, a fairy tale that my agent gave me, but apparently Spielberg was, Stephen was going to be directing one of the episodes and maybe the first one. And he got sick is when yeah. he went in and had something going on with him. And so that had pushed a lot of the, um, the, uh, the choices down the line. And so then my third audition was with Tony. Tony Toad came to London and it was at the Groucho, I think. Um, so, I mean, they just, you know, they picked all like the hip happening spots back in 1999 or 2000, wherever we were. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, all in and that was it. Like, you know, that was the last one we told Scott and, and Spate, were, were you guys at that mixing match where they told you how to be there six hours? Right. Yep. Which, which was weird, which was weird for me because I went in, same thing with you guys, Meg first, then Tom was my second audition. And then I was at this big, Big mix and match. Wait, wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Tom was his second one. Tom was my second one. Yeah. Jeez, I went in for Meg three times. They made me do Luz. They made me do Garnier. Then they made me do both of them. And then I they was like, "Where can we get this guy in? Get it right one time, Jimmy." <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> to, Spielberg says we got to have him, and we ain't got fucking doing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, yeah, he, he that's around that the Upper East Coast, Coast Corridor. Like, is he from Philly? Is he from New York? He wants to stand still. We don't, you don't understand <laughs> what he said. A little bit of laws. I'm a little bit of gummy, and I'm going to make pecan. Yeah, here he is. What range? <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Scott Grimes, who, of course, was Don Malarkey. But the thing is, Jimmy, to answer you, yes, I was there, and I, I didn't have a great feeling about it. I went in one time uh, at the big mixing match, but it was Frank, Donnie, uh, I think Ron. It, it ended up the, the, a lot of that group that I went in. And then I sat in the hallway, and then they came out and said, it's done. So I'm like, fuck, I didn't get this, obviously. Mm -hmm. I, I had exactly the experience I had. I had the Me exact too. Me too. I was in the first group that got yeah. called in. So was I. It was me. Was it you, Jim? Were you in that? Because it was, it was Gonia. And it was Patrick Dempsey was in that one. I remember Patrick. No, what, what? As in like Dr. Gray's Anatomy, yeah. Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey was what did there, he go yeah. for? He was. He went in for some of the. Uh, he was Liebgott. Yeah, Liebgott was was where they were angling him at first. I heard. I'm trying to figure out if like mm -hmm. Scott, were you in the same? Group like did we do so. Jimmy, Jimmy, um, remember Ron, it was Danny, Danny Elfman's Danny Elfman's son was in mine too. It's oh, Bodie Elfman. Yeah, okay. So we did that. I was in the first group that got called in, and then sat there for three and a half hours. And, and, the whole thing was, and everybody will remember this, and this is a great thing. It was Spielberg had a had this, this new video camera that he was yeah. playing with, and he was just walking around the room filming you. It was very cool. I like that. Richard Spate Jr., you're Skip Mark. Well, you know what's funny? Cause, because I was the first group, I go in there and they go, all right, guys, there was ashtrays in there. And they're like, look, we don't know what we're doing. You can't do this wrong because we've never done this before. It's very loose. You guys walk around. You can smoke, whatever you want to do. And at that point, it was Tony Toe, a couple of HBO people, Meg, Tom, and Steven. And at that point, the camera's on a tripod with some kid who's going to hit record and stop. Yeah. And before we go, we're about to do the scene. Steven Spielberg, who hadn't said anything, we walked in. He said, hey, and he asked Tom, he's like, hey, do you mind if I operate the camera? And Tom goes, no, I don't mind if you operate the camera. You're Steven Spielberg. You're, you're <laughs> so he, he took the camera, like you said, he took the camera off the tripod now. And we do the scene, and Spielberg's walking around. As you're saying your line, he's kind of doing a half circle around you and then panning over to Donnie for his line and doing this whole thing. And we finished the scene, and he's like, all right, thanks, go wait outside. And as we were leaving, Tom goes, and look at it this way, guys. If you don't get the job, at least you can say that you've worked with Steven Spielberg. So you have that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Right. I can't great. say that. No, we, I, I had the same thing. When I, when I went in, Steven had the camera. I, he said uh, – a little early on when he walked up the stairs, because I was there early, he saw me and he went, hey, my lost boy. And he remembered me. So I got really lucky. But I didn't think he was going to remember me. It was 10 years later. Yeah, you're really forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he said, my lost boy. He goes, and he said, you know, I'll see you in there. Good luck. And I went, thank you. And that was it. And then when I went in, and he had the camera, did the same exact thing. Went in once, never went in again. I saw everybody else going a few times. And I just, I went home almost crying because I've been sitting on this thing for, you know, five months now at, you know and then all of a sudden i i thought i blew it you know i had like three lines to say 
How long did you have to wait before you got the news? It was like three to four weeks every time in between each. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, it was always a long stretch in between. Yeah. yeah. I got the call yeah. on the. Uh, uh, did I have a cell phone? We had cell phones then, right? Yeah, yeah but it would have been like big, bigger than your head and heavy. Yeah. I remember they called before I got home. That's, so I didn't yeah. do three weeks. Yeah. Ooh, I that's know. a good one. I know. I, I'm not bragging. I'm just yeah, saying. No, it's great. That's love that. Tim, how long for you on the Brit side of things? Uh, yeah, similar to what Scott, Scott was saying. After the final, the fifth audition, it was a pretty quick turnaround for me. Probably a day. No, I think it was the same day. The same day. Like a week or ten days before boot camp. But prior to that, after the fourth audition, there was radio silence. And my agent said, I think they may have forgotten you. So I'm going to phone them. And just remind them that you exist. That's and make sure them That's through the net. That's great agenting, that, isn't it? Oh, I, you're my client. I think they may have forgotten you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. the, fucking great. I'm just going to jump out the window, shall I? Fuck's sake. Yeah. They called me, I'll tell you what happened. They called me like in January and they said, you got the role and all that. And they said, and I said, great. Who? I auditioned for three people. And uh, they said, Percanti. And I went, Percanti? I didn't audition. I didn't audition for. And they were like, well, you got the role of Percanti and we'll send you all the material. Now, my first thing is I went right to the book because I didn't remember Percanti in the book. He's only mentioned like very small in the book. And I'm like, Percanti. And I looked at him. Now I can't find him in the book. Now I go, I go back to the pages. and I'm like, I see his name. and I see, you know, let's say page 54 and 78. I go to page 70, 54. And I'm like, all right, is he mentioned? He's mentioned there. And then I'm like, all right, I guess, you know, I guess I'm, Conti, you know, I'm going to London for 10 months to shoot this HBO series and I think I'm a day player. Like, I, like, I don't even know who the guy is. You know, you nothing. Were you shocked to find Thanks. out he was from the Upper East Coast? Did that freak you out? We were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Frank's from Chicago, Rich. Whatever. <laughs> it's a joke. Get over it. Rick Warden, what about you? Mine was strange. I don't know about you, Dex, but I... I went in late. I went in in February. I'd been told uh, a, a few times during that year that from earlier casting people, I got that cliched thing back from my agent of, no, they said there's nothing in it for you. And I was like, are you serious? There are 180 speaking roles in this thing. I trust my American. There's got to be something in there. Anyway, I'd stopped whining about it. Uh, and then I got called in. All I read for, it about you, Ross, all I read for was Welsh. And I read for Meg. In the Athenaeum, I'd been told by an actor friend of mine, she's not big on the handshakes and the, the cuddles. Just do the thing and get out of there, which was great advice, which is what I did. The next week or so, it was like, now you're coming in to meet Tom Hanks. Um, I did the thing with Tom. He, play, he had some fun. He had the castaway beard. There were a lot of nerves around. And then within a few days, I was driving around the M25, and I got a call from my agent saying, everyone says yes except Spielberg. He's looking at the tape now. So oh! Why did you bother telling me? Yeah, yeah I was just going to say that. I was just going to uh, say, why would you say it? She rings back and says, and he says yes. So it was really quick for me, my turnaround. I didn't look, I didn't go up for any other role. The, the, I remember reading, the, uh, there was a Welsh uh, scene as well. That was the, I don't know, what about you, Ross? Because you, did you, you auditioned in the UK? I just thought that was the scene that they got you to read was Welsh. Of course, this is Ross McCall, who played Joseph Liebgott. The two scenes that I had to read um, at the beginning, and then I think it turned uh, similar to Jim, um, but they, they gave, gave me the Spears speech to Blythe, um, 
when he's in the in the foxhole, and that was like the big one. That was the one that you had to go and really nail for Tony and Tom. Before that, originally, and uh, I hope I hope uh, Maddie Leach feels okay with it. But there was a there was a big Talbert scene, you know, that didn't end up in the show. But there was a, a Talbert scene that you know was was the All American Kid, and so that was like the first one. But I was kind of like Jim when I got the phone call. And they said, uh, you've got Liebgott. And it was probably about, I don't know, a week or two after meeting Tony, they were, I don't know, waiting for Patrick Dempsey to pass, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, I said, Liebgott, I sort of remember him in the boot. And I was like, you sure it's not Lipton? I mean, that's where my head went. I the only guy with yell. And they're like, no, no, no. And, and the same thing as Jim. I went, you know, and did the cheat sheet and looked up and went, okay, all right. Yeah, this will be fun. So it was, uh, but Spears was was the biggie. That was the biggie. I only, Spears I only, was the biggie. I only uh, auditioned for Malarkey, and I'll never. I'll, uh, I think Spate. I told you this, and then you told everybody else, and it ended up biting me in the ass. But I wanted Malarkey so bad that I ended up singing "Danny Boy" and burning a CD. And in two thousand, it wasn't easy. It took about twenty seven. 45 minutes just to burn. I burned this CD of me singing Oh Danny Boy" because it said Malarkey was a singer, and I gave it to Tom Hanks after our audition. I'm like, I made. I made this if this helps it says he's a singer i don't know and why did that bite me because i told you the story and then you told everybody in the fucking place that i sang <laughs> and, and facts <laughs> great i'm gonna just play you something now i'm gonna play you something now i've got it on my record it's on my phone it's my ringtone on my phone you kidding pause right now but like you have albums and you perform live it's not like i broke a secret wide open i don't mean that but i started and i i became i think rick gomez called me the choir master it bit me in i just want to be a dancer i just want to be that i just want to be a dancer that was like the fucking first of all i loved it grimes does actually have the voice of an angel and he does and so, so much so that I actually use his song in my movie. Oh, that's right. Last year, Scotty's on a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, do. I use one of his songs too. Yeah. I remember it in ER. I love it. He's got great. Yeah, there was something. There was another song that was sung because I. It was you guys. That was when the choir master bit came out, man. Well, that made the bit. That made the. Are you talking about the song Gory Gory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That made the bit. Gory Gory, what a hell of a way to die. Yeah. So yeah. there was that was going to be sung. And they were going to do like you guys marching and use it and use it as part of the soundtrack. So they were having you teach everybody the parts. And I know this because I wasn't shooting. It was episode nine, the, um, the uh, concentration camp. But since everybody was going to sing, they brought me out to set anyway. And I don't know if you guys remember, but I carried the video camera with me everywhere. And I videoed the rehearsal of us singing that song. With and I Rick taught, we taught everybody the harmonies. Choir master. And that's when you got labeled the choir master because you were in charge of great label that song. Great label. We've got to talk about boot camp. Um, it's gone down in history so far as the production of war films is concerned. Well, we've talked about we've talked about boot camp over the years and and yeah. how the story the story can change from day to day. Some people say we're at boot camp for ten days. Some people say we were there for six months. <laughs> it, it changed his it first story, um, but it was it was a long. It always felt like twelve days to me. I don't know if it was less or more than that. Like, ten wasn't. It? I don't I don't know, the here we go. I thought it was ten. Who knows? What was it? 
it's eleven nights, and it was ten days. It was it was ten nights, eleven days. We went in on Monday. We came back the Thursday. Eleven was my count. Mm -hmm. There you go. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, and what did they have you do? So weapons training. Zero days. Yeah, lot, lot of that. Lot of drill. A lot, a lot of PT, wasn't it? A lot of running in the morning. A lot of marching. Caterpillar press ups and all that shit. Maneuvers. Ben, how did it start? I mean, I remember very, very. I have a very strong memory of turning up at Hatfield um, in our civilian clothes uh, on the very first day of boot camp and literally all sitting around, not really knowing each other, a few kind of, you know, a few kind of quips and jokes between some of the guys, but we had no idea what we were getting ourselves involved in. And obviously then we got called out and there, I remember these guys getting off this coach and they were just sort of shouting shouting instructions at us we just didn't know what 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 it hit us and you know having gone from you know making a few kind of jests and jokes we suddenly just all shut up and realized that we were going to be in for something was that like oh have we started now well yeah i think we didn't <laughs> quite know where we'd started i think we were told to kind of get out of our civilian clothes and literally put the uniforms on and we put the uniforms on and then i think from that moment of putting that uniform on to getting on the coach to driving to longmore i remember the coach journey and i remember we were just kind of called it we were called in character onto the bus and I remember just sitting at the front of this coach and I don't remember a word being spoken for the whole hour driving from from Hatfield to Longmore and uh, and then I remember arriving at Longmore and uh, and Steven Spielberg was there uh, and Tom Hanks and Dale Dye and the cadre and they were all standing there and we got off the, the coach and I just remember Dale shouting sub, some kind of obscenities at us all and I just remember us all kind of looking at each other gulping and thinking okay I don't think any of us had any quite idea about how kind of intense this experience was really going to be because they were taking no shit and um, and then from that moment onwards I think we just you know we just had to kind of fall in try and get our heads around what the hell we had signed up for and I don't think, you know, I, I mean, I can probably speak for quite a lot of the guys that I don't think any of us were, I mean, I wasn't physically ready for sure. I mean, I hadn't been told to sort of start training before boot camp. We got sent a piece of paper with all the things we were allowed to bring and all the things we weren't allowed to bring. Um, and, um, and, and I just remember that we weren't obviously going to be able to communicate with home apart from writing a letter with a, with a pencil. Um, I think we, we were able to write like two letters during the whole time we were there. Um, obviously, there were no you know mobile communications, none, none of that. Um, and I, I just remember, you know, just having to just fall in and, and try and get our heads around, you know, the kind of intensity of that whole experience physically and mentally. And we all, you know, as I think I mentioned the other day, we all definitely hit walls during that week and there were some emotions shared. But, you know, that was part of the experience. That's what bonded us all. The fact that we all kind of thought, OK, I don't know if I can do this. I don't even know if I want to do this. But I'm not going to be the guy who's going to turn around and say, you know, fuck this, I'm out of here. Um, but, I'm, you know, we're going to carry each other through it. And actually, I don't think we could have made the show um, without it. I think boot camp was, was the experience of bonding us was the experience of training us to make sure that we got all of that stuff right. So we, we really looked like we knew what we were doing. And I think there was a sense amongst us all that, yes, it was going to be intense and yes, it was going to be hard work, but we wanted to get it right. We were telling real people's stories. We had a responsibility. And I think that Dale Dye and the cadre, you know, were, were it, it was it was a genius process. It was almost like method acting to the extreme, but it was exactly the kind of process that you needed to go through to get a bunch of guys who didn't know each other to very quickly bond, to get their heads around what, what we were about to do and make sure that we were going to make something quite extraordinary. I remember Tom Hanks 
you know, that, that very first day made a speech um, when we went into the mess hall and basically said, you know, one day you're going to be in an airport somewhere and a kid's going to come up to you and say, you know, you played my grandfather or my great grandfather in that series, Band of Brothers. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to have a very special moment because it will be something that will, will live with you for the rest of your lives. And, you know, I mean, I've worked a lot as an actor and I've been very lucky to do the kind of work that I, I have done since. But, but that, that show and that experience will go down in history as one of the best, you know, acting experiences, one of the best experiences um, that I've ever had. So it was, um, it was really special. It was, it was really, really tough. I'm not going to, you know, shy away from that. And as I say, I think we all struggled, but I think we all bonded, got through it. And then we'll always carry, you know, a very fond memory of what bootcamp did and, and what it was able to do in relation to kind of making sure that we made the show to the, you know, to, 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 to the detail that we did. Yes, George. You know, for the first couple of days when, they, when we got beat up really physically. And uh, I think the first thing that they teach real soldiers is about marching and being in time and the rest of it. So they start to get together. And, uh, and we were pretty rubbish. And then the very, as, as I recall it, and I might be wrong, it's the very first time we got it right. We're all like, we can hear it. Like, we're like, shit, man. <laughs> and out runs Dale Die, going, well, no shit, easy company. I do believe we're marching in time. I'm sexually yeah. stimulated. I'm going to have to go and do something about that. But what's your most harrowing memory? The, the one event I remember that, 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 that nearly broke me was that, that fucking night in the Fibula, in the freezing cold. Yeah doing sentry duty and asking, you know, every, literally every 30 seconds terms, me and Kirk, and it was like, boy, what time is it? And he'd be like, 1.30. Boy, what time is it? That was brutal. Yeah. 1.31. <laughs> and it's both of us just staying really awake just by me just asking what the time was. Then every now and then I remember Ross was sort of in, in a sleeping bag. He decided he couldn't lie down flat, so he decided to sleep sitting up. In his, his sleeping bag. Well, what was it? Every now he has grown a pain. I, I don't. I don't know if, if Rick Water remembers this, but Riggy, you were on a, like the guard duty before me, and we were together in the hooch at some point. I don't remember what, but at some point during the night, and my sleep time was I don't know from ten till midnight, and you had to get me at midnight, and I had to go out and keep my eyes open until two or one or whatever time. And I remember having those sleeping bags, and everyone had these devised these plans of staying warm. Everyone was like, well, you get in the sleeping bag, you strip all your gear off, yeah, and you put it in the bottom of the, of the thing, and it, and it keeps you warm. And we're all like, nah. And then there were people saying, put the, the gloves, you know, put your socks on your hands and the gloves on your feet. And stupid shit. I'm sure they were making fun of it. But we had the sleeping bag over and the rope that you would pull tight. So it was so cold, I pulled this thing fucking tight. And I'm trying to sleep, and I'm almost off to sleep, but I'm a bit dazed. And then, Ricky, Warden, you came and woke me up. And you were like, leave guys. It's, it's, uh, I remember opening my eyes and because it was shut, it was pitch black and I couldn't see a fucking thing. And I'm like, I've got fucking blood. I've got night blinds. I don't know what's going on. And like, I swore for like five seconds. I'm like, dude, I can't, where am I? And you're like, dude, take, take the hood off. <laughs> they told us, they told us there may or may not be an attack. And of course, right. we, we, we were too, too, at that point, too <laughs> sleep deprived anyway and too scared and fucked up that we thought there's, you know, to realize that there's no fucking way they're going to get up in the middle of the night and come and attack us either. You know, they're going to go, they're gonna go to sleep. And so we're just all on edge thinking, what the fuck was that? What do we see? What do we see? Oh my God, what is that movie? 
but it was yeah and after I, I didn't i remember i didn't sleep i don't think i slept a second that night and so from that night on i think it's around the middle of the whole thing as well it's sort of i was up for 48 hours straight and i was absolutely i was running on fumes at that point was it so was saturday night that was so fucking tired rick were you staying in character the whole time with no slips i remember uh, ross is that uh, in jump jump week, which was like on the started on the on the Monday and the Tuesday, Ross was the first person that I broke uh, accent out of. So I'd been in accent for like <laughs> eight days by then, and I can remember leaning into Ross and saying something like, "I've I've um, I've had enough of this, man." Or, or I definitely remember thinking, "I've just transgressed. I've just it's the first time I've been naughty in flipping eight days or whatever by breaking out of American." Um, what was the like? Did you guys actually have to jump out of planes to practice, or was it just yeah. jumping off the ship? Yeah, we did like we did like yeah, we jumped loads of planes. We did like fifty jumps. <laughs> we had to do fifty to get our wings, and we did it, you know, in our ten days. Of- <laughs> 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 no, the truth is that there's a um, we did the boot camp itself in Longmore military training camp, but we did a couple of days of sort of One jump day. practice. At a place called where is it, lads? Bryce Norton. Bryce Norton. And they have it. How many? Correct me on how tall the tower is. The jump. Seven hundred and eighty feet. 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 (laughs) I think it's like seventy feet, isn't it? Fifty feet, seventy feet. Three thousand, wasn't it? Three thousand foot. Three thousand. Let's go seventy, Rick. Yeah. And um, you're you're harnessed in. And it's sort of like a pulley system. But if you're little like me, I mean, I'm less little now, but yeah. it, I couldn't reach the ground when I jumped out. It, 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 the, the rubber band didn't take Fucking hell. It wasn't a rubber band. It was a, it was a paddle. But <laughs> <laughs> we did that for like a couple of days. Your body, your body weight is the factor. Yeah, it was like bungee jumping the jump. Yeah, a bit like bungee no, it's jumping. Without an elastic thing. Peter, go ahead. How many of us have jumped out of planes since then? I jumped yeah. out, didn't I? Oh. Fucking, and I'll never do it again. I'll never, never again. Shit again. Never again. We jumped together. Fuck that. Fuck that. Oh. Yeah. Can you guys do it in Switzerland at some point? We did it at Pottery, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Some of you did it in Switzerland too, though, right? Yeah, Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and me, buddy. What happened in Switzerland stays in Switzerland. <laughs> Has anybody jumped solo out of a plane out of any of us? Rick Gomez, uh, George Lutz, of course. Yes. Nick? Oh, solo? You mean not tandem? Attached to someone? No, never solo. Fuck that. Never. What, <laughs> 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 yeah. what the fuck I'm doing? Yeah, you know, you know sports could come out of the goddamn shoot. <laughs> oh, I did spoons! Fuck! <laughs> so someone asked, Rick, you, did you do a different kind of boot camp because you were an officer? No, but what, what, what's gradually emerging, every, everyone on here knows that I've become a little bit obsessed about boot camp generally. <laughs> and that's because I hated it. Um, Not as much as David Schwimmer, by the sounds of it. No, I hated it a lot more than David. <laughs> I hated it enough hey. to want to leave. Oh, really? Um, and try to leave. And a mixture of Tim and Jimmy stopped me leaving. Um, I just hatched escape plans after about three or four days. I mean, the structure of it was that we they sort of snapped us in half physically for about two or three days until we were very, very tired uh, and drained. Um, And then when we were very tired and drained, the reason why what you're getting at about me having a different experience is that they then injected rank into, into the setup. And that's where my problems started really. I was all right when I was just knackered with everyone else, but 
once once rank got introduced, because obviously that hadn't been earned, rank hadn't been earned at all in two or three days. We'd only just met each other. We got half the guys from the States, half from the UK, and I had a high rank, and so suddenly I had sort of responsibility. And some of the, I would say, a, a bit of poison was sort of seeped into the situation with rank, I think, because um, we were separated off a little bit from the NCOs and from the privates. And I've worked out recently, I don't, Shane's not here, is he, guys? But I've, Shane told me, he did nothing, I didn't even know that Shane, I'd occasionally meet Doc Rowe during boot camp and he would pretend to stitch me up or ask me if I'd fallen over or whatever I'd done. He was up in a flipping classroom, man, studying veins and arterial bleeding and he would literally watch us out of the window and laugh his ass off. <laughs> One of my favourite memories, and it was for both of us really, was, uh, you know, I think you'll all remember the one day Die was like, all right, whoever's hurting, the producers have said you can go and rest. So anyone who's hurting, step forward. And nobody stepped forward. And everyone was like battered. Everyone was like beat up. But nobody stepped forward and whatever. And, and Shane knew about a few people's little injuries. And I remember him coming into the hooch to me. Um, and he said, how you doing, Lee? And I said, ah, you know, the knee, I, I sort of buckled my knee out there. He said, all right, let me have a look. And both of us allowed this experience of I'm letting an actor who's pretending to be a doctor, who's been a doctor literally for four days, like, give me the once over medically. And I'm, I'm allowing it and trusting it. And absolutely, 100%, my, my ligaments are in the arms of this kid. And I just thought that that was the, uh, the beauty once everybody embraced it and stepped into that zone. That was it, you know. Ben, what do you remember? I'm just really enjoying hearing all the boys. George and Tim and I were weapons. And uh, so we, we were in our own, uh, our own kind of area and we had, um, uh, had to carry all the, all the massive machinery. I had a massive machine gun that I had to kind of look after for the whole of our time at boot camp. And I just remember um, every morning going out on those five mile runs. And I remember George smoking uh, those red Marlboro cigarettes <laughs> every day. He would have a Marlboro cigarette before going on a five mile run. And then within about 10 minutes, he would be coughing his guts up at the side of the road. And you'd be going, what are you doing? Um, but no, I also, I also have a very strong memory of, uh, of, of doing um, uh, what we did, um, uh, bayonet training. And I remember breaking an M1 because I, I went at this dummy so hard that I broke an M1 in two. And that basically killed that, that exercise dead. Because uh, I think Dale was really, really scared that we were going to get through M1 rifles like there was no tomorrow and they were going to cost an absolute fortune. Um, but I, I just remember boot camp being, I mean, it was tough. It was really tough. I remember everybody having their, their moments, you know, having their, their walls to, 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 to kind of battle with. And um, I just think, I just remember us all getting, getting together and, and, and kind of pulling through. Uh, by the end of it, we, we, you know, we were able to form those bonds that, that were, were, were so kind of important for the show. And I just... You know, even though it was a tough time, I remember having very fond uh, memories at night, you know, looking, looking forward to kind of sharing, sharing stories as we are doing now, you know, yeah. have many years down the line. It was, a, it was a fantastic experience. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tim, I think it's fair to say you were fully pissed off during this time, weren't you? We were put through a boot camp, which honestly felt kind of like, you know, a bit unfair. Like, we don't need to go to boot camp. We're not, our lives aren't in danger. Why are you doing this to us? Why do we have to be, go through such misery? Right. Who was the worst at boot camp? Schwimmer was the worst at boot camp. He just flat out refused to do it. Did he refuse to do it? Fake injury, didn't he? Guys, I got somebody on my phone. Swim! Swim! No, I'm joking. (laughs) 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 He's a fucking shit all over Swim, and then he just shows up. Swim! Swim. That's not Swim. That's Carl Young. <laughs> what I will say though, I'll, I'll defend him for just uh, for just a second. Was he he did get an injury, but later down the line, we did find out that that was uh, that was a little coup from the producers, and he did injure himself, and he did need to go get checked out. But the whole separating him from the guys and making us kind of pissed off at him because he came back to boot camp and he had like stories of staying at the Dorchester and eating a hamburger and you know smoking <laughs> cigarettes but he came back with like a bag of chocolate and porn so he was like boy here you know here's I'm, I'm gonna befriend you and we're all like oh yeah sweet 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 but it, it was a good thing to separate us so it worked out did anyone else get hurt there was a day <laughs> oh okay after this, we were all brought outside and, and we were talked to by Dale Dye about this very fact about the fact that there were too many injuries is this right yeah, on yes. the Friday. I remember, the, like, the night before, and for about, well, in most of the, the, the boot camp to that point, Scott Grimes, bless him, had been moaning about various physical ailments, but especially his back, I think. George, I don't know if you remember this. I do. It, 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 and it was getting worse and worse, and I knew it was, a, you know, an attempt at sort of a get-out. And understandably, and on that very day, I just have a very clear recollection of almost stamping on his foot when we were outside, because Dale had said, look, if you're all going to be pussies about this, we're going to call off the whole shoot because we can't afford to do this. You can't fucking let me down. You can't be injured. You just can't be injured. And, I, and he said, if anybody has any serious problems, you need to tell me about them now. But he said it in a kind of ironic way. And, and I knew Scott was desperate to actually say, that <laughs> 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 really hurts. <laughs> really wanted to hurt him but he didn't fortunately he read through right at the last my back hasn't hurt this bad since i was doing mickey mouse club with britney (laughs) (laughs) but he was the reason we aced that happy birthday no doubt about that for dale's uh, daughter do you know what we want to hear about matt and flipping boot camp too because yeah he was barking mad at boot camp man (laughs) matt was everyone in it together did you all help each other out except Donnie Wahlberg, but everyone else was really helpful, you know? <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Donnie, Donnie was... Donnie, Donnie, Donnie gave us a real sense of war. We, we assume it was Donnie because he cropped us and dust of us. He had this secret stash of high-protein shakes, and uh, we all had the pleasure for five miles in the morning just enjoying... Uh, 
you know, some crop dusting by good old Wahlberg. Oh my god! And, uh, <laughs> I ate so, in one uh, of their restaurants. I feel dirty now. Uh, I'm not sure. That's a totally different Wahlburger. Yeah, yeah, different Wahlburger. <laughs> I'm not sure which was harder. Don't to have take. a special sauce. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that is so gross. You know, and you could really tell he enjoyed it. I, you know, I don't know if, you know, some people are like that, but you, you know, what can I say? You know, it, it made me have that bottom element that I needed to play this character, you know? No, but, oh, okay. You're not taking that seriously? Okay. It no. really did. It changed my life. <laughs> it wasn't all misery, was it, Rich? A great platoon. Like, we had a great. Yeah. We had some laughs in that space and some moments in that space that were phenomenal. And whether it was us having these joking conversations late at night or making fun of Tim Matthews, who wouldn't want to fucking run. It's like, that was my, another, one of my favorite pinky moments is him going, oh, I didn't know we'd have to run. I just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there should have been a cut in the contract. Hey, did you play a soldier? You might have to jog. Like, <laughs> yep, Scott. Yeah, you know, Rich and Tim, you guys remember, look, most of you guys were up front firing these rifles at this front of the thing. And because we were these mortarmen, we, and the mortar, we couldn't shoot a real mortar, obviously. Right. We would be about a hundred yards behind everything. No one with us. Yeah, yeah. Pretend. And once in a while, like, Spate would go to the tube and go, thunk. Because like, <laughs> everyone would leave us. <laughs> everyone would leave us. And we, we had to have this little kind of fun aside kind of, you know. There were two different dormitories, weren't there, Rick? I think you, but the point you're making is a good one because it's, it, those different rooms, those, and I've gone back to Longmore, obviously, and taken whoever... I could with me. I took Tim with me. Beautiful. It was beautiful. I saw that. Those different rooms. You've got to imagine in the room that me and Dexter were in, it was loaded with lieutenants, really. So it had Donnie. I was next to Donnie. Settle was opposite us. Settle and Donnie were at each other quite well, were. in time. You know, it was a tense. I don't remember a great deal of laughs in that room, Dex. There were across no. the way in Jimmy's room. Yeah. I felt like more laughs going on there, but I, yeah. I, I got tired. Yeah, because uh, so you're in there with Rick Gomez as well, right? Across the hall from us. Well, yeah, I had, had that, but I, we went and played poker there. That was a much, <laughs> it's a much more relaxed atmosphere. Jimmy, you were on the fun door, weren't you? We, no, we, we had a uh, 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 fucking swimmer, swimmer. We had, uh, yeah, he was in our room. He was right across from me. And I remember when. He, I don't know if you guys remember this because you run in the in in the in the in the, in the bunkers, but he got taken out for a day. Yeah, because of his knee. He got knee. Away, he get, you know, he was getting that NBC Friends kind of insurance shit, so he got <laughs> taken out to make sure that. Oh God, that beer looks so good, Tim. Uh, <laughs> he got taken out. Fucking true alcoholic, right, right here, right now. I got three kids, homeschool, and I'm gonna shoot myself. It's fuck. What time is it? Forty-two. It's cool. But he got hurt, and then we thought that he like bailed out. We were like, oh, this fucking guy, blah blah blah. And plus, he was soulful, you know. Within 24 hours later, we walked into the room, and he came in with bags. If you remember, he dumped all nudie magazines and chocolate bars all over our beds. Yeah, yeah. He was but just that, trying to kind of say, look, I had to go do that for, I, I didn't mean to leave you guys. I had to go do that because insurance purpose. I had to get my knee checked out, but I'm back. And he gave us all 
porn magazines. But, but he did, and he, he came back and we played poker. That's what somebody played poker with M&Ms as the chips. As the, with, with the We divided them up into different colors and they were different. And we sat until about two or three in the morning, you know, just eating chocolate and, and playing cards. It was, it, was a, it was a great night, but that was in the other dorm. Our dorm was, was a lot more intense. Donnie was like super intense all the time. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. I had to go and sleep at the other end of the... You guys had super intense people in, in your fucking thing. You know, Donnie's trying to step away from, obviously, I don't want to speak for him, step away from what, you know, what he's trying to do with his... Yeah, yeah. You got mm. settled, it was settled, you know? So I can imagine, you know, how, how that room was. Settle know? was so insane, he was eating the paint off of the radiators. He was eating... <laughs> the- <laughs> he, just, he just came over as mad. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? He was, he was, he was, he was loony. And then, and then Rick was there. And Rick was like, after about four or five days, like, you know what? <laughs> I've got, because this is the, this is the difference. Is like, you know, you jump off the bus and we all know where they're doing a job of work. And our job is as actors. We're actors. We're not soldiers. And it's a job of work to us. But we jumped off into the most real experience that they could possibly construct mm. for us. That Dale and those guys, uh, they thought was the right thing. And they were right. You know, in hindsight, the, the rudderless nature of it was probably, that's probably what being in the war felt like. It was like, yeah. wow, I think we've got right. training, but what the fuck is going on from one minute to the next? Whether that's by accident or design is another, another question. But we jumped into it. And so when someone comes, all right, soldier, give me, give me fucking 20. You're like, wait a minute. I remember I had some dialogue and I was like trying to do my life. And, and Dale came up to me at one point and said, God, what are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to do my lines, man. He was like, fuck you and your fucking lines. Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm an actor, you know. And it was sort of like this line between what we thought we were there doing, you know, but trying to give it that authenticity, which... It did have because there was no line for them. For them, it was like train these men to yeah. be fighting. Red, and that's what they were. We they were doing. Unfortunately, we were a little bit more like Tim. I, I didn't know there was running involved. I mean, I have to fire a weapon. That sounds. <laughs> Not everyone did boot camp. Uh, we have Peter O'Meara here who played Norman Dyke. Um, so you wouldn't? Did you have to do boot camp? I asked, I asked to do boot camp. You asked to do boot camp. Are you insane? I did. I was. I was, I was in it, but I was told no. And I can see why. I mean, they were bond of the actual guys, and yeah. then later, as we came in, I know that I had Dale Di had sort of given an instruction that you know you, you're going to see some new faces. There'll be some replacement officers. Don't talk to them. Don't welcome them. Don't you know make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, now, it's a testament to the amazing cast, the professional actors that are lucky enough to be uh, associated with, that a lot of the guys just went, yeah, right. You know, they were very friendly and welcoming. And this is a lot to take on. Um, mm-hmm. Let me try and describe to you, like, it's a, it's a big, and for all of us, we're in our 20s. No one has been on a set like this uh, before. You have the boot camp and the and the, uh, the walking to set every day and drills going on and see you're walking into the middle of that much as i'm sure when dyke showed up and had to announce himself you know it's your first day at school uh, anyway there's a lot of moving parts there's things all over the place it's kind of it's fitting it's sort of confusing and you know who's who and what's what and it's literally first day of school so it was like that every day until eventually you got some kind of normalcy, some kind of rhythm into it. And I have to say, just a testament to the other casts. We're all up for it, man. You know, nobody, we all, we're all there. Robin Lang, who was Babe Heffron, you were a replacement, so no proper boot camp for you. 
I didn't do it. Uh, I refused. My agent got me out of it. No, I never. Uh, because they wanted the car, the Tacoma men. And I don't know if anybody else knows this. I did. Try, I went out for a costume fitting and they said, we'll give you some weapons training. I did weapons training. And they said, oh, actually, the rest of Easy Company are doing manoeuvres. <coughs> so why don't you come with us? And I thought, oh, I said, oh, great. I'll get to meet the guys. And they said, no, no, no. You're going to come with us and be German. <laughs> I, went with, um, I went with Freddie Farnsworth. And I think... E maybe or Billy Bud, I can't remember. And we went into this forest area, and they said, "Listen, we're going to be over there. You're going to be here with this big uh, German machine gun. And when you hear the gunfire start, just start firing in that direction. And um, yeah, they're going to be trying to, you know, the easy comp- easy company are going to be trying to maneuver. But um, and you'll know that it's us. You'll know when to start firing because any gunfire you hear will definitely be us because they won't fire first. So that was my one day boot camp in a oh, forest no. on my own wow. dressed as a German with a machine gun <laughs> Phil Barantini I love how uh, smug you are about this well I didn't go to boot camp now there was a lot of the actors didn't realise that I didn't go to boot camp because I was one of the lucky ones who sort of came in on the first day of filming or the day before we started filming and I just sort of I don't know somehow I just fitted in and, and sort of got in quietly so nobody ever gave me any crap I think it's fair to say, though, that there was a lot of crap being given out, like, amongst yourselves as well. I was one of them as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, <clears throat> somehow I was really lucky that I didn't, I didn't get any crap for it. <laughs> That's smart. It yeah, is, that's really it, it is, yeah, it is. Looking back, it is. And, and Dale always says, you know, he says he's, he's trained, obviously, a bunch of other people since Band of Brothers on different shows and, and films and whatnot. And he says, none of them get it like we got it. He's, he said, you know, he with his boys, he was like, nobody else seems to, to have that, um, to have had the sort of passion that we had. Let's talk a bit about Dale Dyett because he deserves a lot of, of credit for what he put you through um, and how it bonded you. Tim? Because Dale spoke about this at length uh, off the back of Rick's recent sort of curiosity about it. And he was saying that it, that was all very, very deliberate, that breaking down thing but well if, I mean according to him um and he was given quite a lot of freedom to do that by the uh you know, powers that be and I think it was the first time he as a, a an entity in that uh, capacity was able to really do it he'd done it before for lots of films but I think this was the first time he'd really been allowed to orchestrate it to the extent that he did so if you if you listen to what he says about it he'll say that it was all very deliberate Woody our Bob Fest coordinator go ahead and he said never to tell the actors, but he said to me that he, on the very first day when he met all you guys, he spotted who the criers would be, who the ones who would struggle <laughs> physically, who the guys would struggle <laughs> mentally. And he was bang on correct, he said, with every prediction. He said, yeah, he'll be, a, he'll be a great physically. I mean, for example, I'm sure he said that, Nick, you'd be great physically. I think some guys, he said, yeah, they'll be struggling physically. But he, he said, I got it right on the first five minutes and everything was right 10 days later. Who cried? Come on, guys. Rick Warden cried. Big time. I cried. Friday, I cried all fucking day. I, I wanted to cry because I didn't go. Did I, you I, not I, do it, Renee? No, I was the last American cast. So I walked into the table read after all no. these... When you, ca- when you cast this. like about 20 hours before the table I was read. cast 24 hours before I showed up there. So yeah. wow. I was cast. I was told I'm leaving. I left that night, got there that morning. 
they drove me to the uh, table read, and I met all these guys who went through this boot camp, and how daunting was that? <laughs> you know, every, everybody's, like, congratulating themselves, and I'm like, holy shit. You know? They all seem to love oh. you, though. They've forgiven you, right? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Renee has knife skills. Michael Cudlitz, uh, Ball Randleman. I think it's safe to say you were not loving Dale Dye in the middle of boot camp. I just remember that one night that we all went out, uh, not not the hike, or maybe it was the same night as the hike, but where we slept outside. Oh, and it was just God. cold as shit. <laughs> and uh, I, I just remembered it, I just remembered it like sucks. And I was like, I was like, I ain't learning anything out here right now. Except that Dale Dye is a fucking jackass. <laughs> and like that, the whole night, I was like, there's nothing to learn here. Fuck that guy. God, you remember, Mike? It, it was colder in the sleeping bags than it was oh outside. Oh, my God. It was just like, when is the sun coming up? You know, and it was just, it was literally, it was, and obviously we learned a ton. Um, but I just, you know, I remember at one point, you know, Captain pulling me aside. I screwed up something, and he's like, "Are oh, you doing push-ups? Get down there, brop, brop, you piece of shit! You're not gonna mountain." And I'm down there doing push-ups, and I'm like, "Fuck you, old man! I got a fucking, I got a wife, I got kids. I'm fucking 35 years. Suck my dick!" <laughs> I was not having. I'm like, "All right, I'll do your fucking push-up thing and all that." And ultimately, I mean, I make light of it. I we we could not have done what we did without going mm. through what we went through with him. Because he literally, it was like what we call hell week in, in American football here when you train. And it basically, you get a common enemy. And he became our common enemy that we all bound together with each other. And that's exactly what he wanted you know, us to do. So me sitting there going, fuck you, old man. That was exactly what I was supposed to be doing. So I, I'm sure we had each of us had our own moment of that or a different version of that. And when we, what we came away with was you know, the end result, which is something we are all really, really proud of and, and could not have done it the way it was done without um, that man. Matt, do you remember anything specific about boot camp? I think the funniest thing is uh, along the, the night things uh, was was using uh, our weapons when we had blanks and, and doing this live fire routines with our blanks. And um, we had this one particular cadre guy that kept getting injured. And I understand why. It's like, what was his name? He was like, a, he was a NASCAR driver slash, I don't know, he'd been on everything, that guy. But you guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah. He was only there at boot camp, and then he kind of, like, didn't make it through because he got, like, that, especially that night, he got, like, he broke he was the wrist. Like, man, wasn't he? Yeah, the Oh, no, 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 man. the what? stunt guy, the rodeo guy. Yeah, yeah, he was, like, rodeo, yeah. and he dug yeah, 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 yeah. Series, he was and... guy. He was an ex-Marlboro. Ex yeah, he just seemed yeah. invincible, but he kept getting injured. It was almost like a, like a South Park joke, you know? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he told me, he's like, now, listen, the trick is when you shoot at night, you want to close one eye. <laughs> close one eye so when when you shoot it doesn't blind your eye that's closed so i'm like all right so i closed my eye shot and then as soon as i opened my other eye that was good somebody else fired their weapon i was totally blind you know <laughs> it's, you're completely, and so if you understood why this guy was running into trees but it seemed like a good idea at the time but it didn't work so there were some funny things that happened at that, point, but that was a crazy night look the past. serious though philip it was worth it wasn't it I think I think looking back now, he was playing the part because he's he's the nicest man in the world. Like he's he's the most he's a lovely, lovely, genuine. Um, you know, he's got a heart of gold, the guy. But back then, yeah, we definitely uh, 
you know, you, you respected him, but also you, you, you sort of, you know, he, he was a, he was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like, he's like everybody's granddad now, really. <laughs> ben, you love him now, right? I, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time around Dale because we've had quite a few of these reunions. And um, I mean, it's been really special to kind of get to know Dale, you know, outside of that experience, because for a lot of us, I think we were quite scarred, maybe, or certainly had an impression of of Dale um, under those kind of very strict circumstances. So to be able to then kind of meet up sort of 15, 20 years later and spend some time just drinking a beer, talking about those experiences, hearing about the kind of lengths that Dale went to to make sure that we, you know, we abided by very strict instructions and rules um, and regulations. And, you know, I mean, it was, you know, as a lot of guys were saying, you know, that, that boot camp was very intense. Rick Gomez, you were full of appreciation too. I don't think it is. I don't think it is until I've gotten much older that I realized the improv skills of, of die and everybody. Cause I actually don't think that you can plan it. I don't, I don't, I think you kind of have a general idea of what the scene is, but if you're out there 10, 11 days, there's shit you can't possibly wrap your brain around about how people are going to break and how people are going to move. Say, you could say all you want, either in hindsight or whatever, <laughs> like, yeah, we knew, we knew. You didn't know. You were just brilliant. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't know. I think Dale's a master, master of improv because I know personally I stood in front of him broken in one moment and he absolutely knew it and laid off. And was like, it's okay, it's gonna be all right. But like, I he brought me right to a a, a brink where I was like, ah, fuck, this isn't gonna work. And then he saw it in me, and then just went, whoop, just let 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 the air out of it. And and so that's like imp- That's just knowing where you're at with your act. It's being a good actor. I, I think I misrepresented what he said because he wasn't saying that he knew what was going to happen for twelve days. Right. But you're absolutely right. The aim the aim was, you know, the cohesion that we had, how we got there. I guess was subject to what happened in situ and you're absolutely right he definitely responded that's i'm pretty sure he acknowledged that from what i remember in the conversation yeah, but i mean he definitely nice. had an idea going in i mean it's not you know that cadre was put together no. for a specific doing 42nd street he knew that but we're, but i don't think beyond <laughs> understanding like what we what those drills were what the thing was he knew each member was going to bend no. in the wind on any certain mm-hmm. day you have to be, you have, he had to be in the moment, in every moment, and checking in with us in a way that I think would, if I look at that job as an actor, if I was just given that job as an actor, that's a daunting job to lead young men into something, to understanding something that they have no idea to how to wrap their brain around in that moment. So day one, you know shit. And day 10, you've kind of looked through a keyhole. That's a fucking job and a half for a lot of guys. He did it for a lot of guys. And each one of us have a personal story about how, we grew. And so to, to be successful on that level, just feel, it feels to me that it's much more just about these like masterful improv skills and, and masterful humanity skills he has just to know each of the guys. And so it's a bit of reading us very quickly and, and you know, yeah. he, he, knew, he knew who to tear down and he knew who to put an arm around. You're absolutely you know, right. Scott, sum up Dal Dye in one word during boot camp. If I had to use one word, it would be, and this is my own thing. He was scary. It was, it scared me. He was, it, I was scared mm. of him. Yeah. Really but were scared. you, but you, uh, were you not more scared of Mike Stokes? Stokey? No, I actually no? liked his eyes, man. I liked, he seemed to care. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Still die scared the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah. Sto- Stokey was quiet, man. He scared the fucking bejesus yeah. out of me. I know Stokey. what you mean, but yeah. 
Jeez. Well, I always get the feeling. I, I thought I always get the feeling that uh, Stokey yeah. and Freddie Joe had like <laughs> they had stories to tell that they weren't going to tell. You know what I mean? Yeah, Which makes right. them more. Yeah, yeah. right. You, you felt like they actually had kills under their belt for sure. That's that's hundred percent. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. what <laughs> getting at. Uh, one word I would say: the general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> General, because I called him the General. fucking... General, well, you said genital. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick Warden? I think if I'm being... If I'm allowed to be brutally honest. At the time of boot camp... Yeah, you already admitted that you cried, so... Yeah, listen, I'm the boot camp bore here. Everyone knows that I'm boot camp mad, but... He's honestly, scarred. It was a traumatic experience for him. Yeah, He's I, scarred. I, Let's I, just get that out of there. But as a result, for that first week, certainly there were bits of boot camp when I felt that they, I felt that the proceedings were, I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but they felt, and this is because probably I was very tired and pretty emotional during it, it felt rudderless to me. Mm. Ah, right. Um, and and I've really changed my opinion on that, talking to the panel. So I'd like to be able to go into why. I don't wanna just leave it there, but that's how it felt, yeah. Scott, do you know what I mean? There were bits of it, and Tim, where I, I felt God, we don't know where this night attack is actually happening, man. Oh, that's definitely true. You know, yeah. we're down here, hunkered down in the wet, in the dark, and we're getting messages back, and we are already got some kind of rank, and I'm supposed to be a lieutenant. I don't know where this thing is, man. And I'm trying to you order a, a platoon of guys who are asking me. I was with Jimmy, I'm lying in the dirt, Jimmy, yeah. before the night. <laughs> and they're asking me what's going on, and I'm asking... Sarge, what's going on? And Sarge is asking Dale Dye what's going on. And all I can hear is, I don't know where the damn thing is. Yeah. You know, it felt rudderless. For, to, and and that was scary. Nervous. It was scary to me. That comes back to why I was scared because, and, and in, in hindsight, obviously, uh, that, I think that really was amazing that there was an element of danger about our boot camp that we, I didn't think so at the time. I thought it was all fake. I thought, okay, at any moment the lights will come on, I can get a Band-Aid or whatever the fuck I want. But that isn't entirely true of our boot camp. You know, cool. I never got the impression you could get pulled out. And I mean, sure, if you got really seriously injured, but it felt like he had us. He had to, and that was what was scary about it that he owned us for those 10 days. Yeah. He could do the pretty much what the hell he wanted because someone in authority had said to him, Absolutely, they're your guys, train them up, get them, you know, get them fighting yeah. fit, get them match ready. Get, and, and that was it because you, I mean, I, I, I saw him take antibiotics with a bottle of vodka. I saw him take, you know, antibiotics with vo- with vodka. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, this guy's a fucking maniac. <laughs> He's <laughs> just, ah, oh, great, yeah, I gotta take these. And, and that was in the car. So we were at the mercy of a man who who had a different set of rules yeah. from, from what the norm was. And and he did. He owned us for those ten days, didn't he? We had no phones, yeah. no communication. That was it. Here's a pencil and a piece of paper, and you can. Right to your friend, your loved ones in the rear, and like shit, and then he marched us on the set. Rich, I mean, for all the gruff and the military demeanor, which is all legit, he was incredibly well spoken and funny in his own way. And I remember there was uh, one point he was drilling us all on hand to hand combat or something like that, and he had a frog in his throat and he kept going, oh, here's you're going to grab your bayonet and you're going to square up and you're going, oh, Christ, get out and walk, you son of a bitch. 
I thought it was a funny thing in the world to watch a man yell at his loogie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. I remember different that, set right? of rules. Different and set of rules. There was a time. Do you guys remember when, was it Neil? No, it wasn't Compton. Who had to get stitches? Who had to get? Compton. Uh, it was Compton. Okay. So Compton had to get stitches. And word got back to the, you know, HQ, production office, about that. And so word came forward that, you know, can't have actors getting hurt. That was the, the overreaching comment. But, you know, Dale died sort of translated that into, you know, he, he berated us. And, and, <laughs> Scott and, I were, and Scott and I were in formation, so we're side by side. And he's going, God damn it, I'm getting from the rear that you guys are getting scared. And the rear's telling me that you guys are worried about getting hurt. And I'm getting all this shit from the rear. And I'm tired of all this. And Scott leaned over and he's like, wow, the captain's really getting it from the rear. <laughs> wait wait there was also another guy and i believe his name was sergeant wilson you guys remember him but yeah. he couldn't run he had really bad knees and what what wilson wasn't good at and richard i i love telling the story richard wilson what, what wilson wasn't good at is all the things that dale die was good at saying like if you keep this up there's gonna be six inches of my boot sticking up your ass right so Dale Dye would say that all the time. Be six inches of my boots sticking up your ass. And one time, Dale Dye had to go and do something else. And Spate and I are walking and we're marching. And Sergeant Wilson's just, he's, he's, he's lining us up and he's giving it a go, man. And he says, hey, hey, if you guys keep this up, there's going to be six inches of my boots sticking out of your ass. And Spate, <laughs> Spate turns to me like this and goes, wait a minute. That would mean that he is inside of us and his boot coming out. And I'm like, shut up. Don't make me laugh, you prick. Shut up. But he was right because he said it wrong. I was right. I mean, for, you know, for the record, I was right. That's yeah. logistically what would have had to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Hold the phone. <laughs> Jimmy, overall boot camp was a pretty surreal experience, right? No, I wasn't, but boot, I wasn't really scared of boot camp or anything. I, it was very confusing to me because the minute I got off the the bus, and I don't know if you guys remember when we got off the bus, the bus ride in general was probably the strangest thing for me in the entire 10 months you're out there because no one was talking, looking at each other. We're like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Took all our shit, gave us a toilet. We had toiletry bags or whatever, and... uh. But I got off the bus, and Freddie Joe Farnsworth, for some reason, really just made a beeline for me. And he ran up to me, and you guys heard the story a hundred times, and he came, oh, yeah, I got a short, and this is exactly his words, he'll tell you, oh, yeah, I got a short motherfucker in my platoon, get in formation, shorty, and he was literally this close to me. Oh, no way. Spit, I remember his spit hitting me when he was doing it, and instead of, like, like staying that thing, I, 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 just, I remember doing one of these, oh, dude, oh, dude, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fucking street kid from New York. Yeah. No one's done that without getting punched in their face ever. So my, I know I had to be cool because I'm on a Spielberg and I don't want to lose my job on day one. But my first reaction was, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Like back, like, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and he just said, get on the front. And I had to do push-ups right away. And, and uh, it, you know, knowing the chain of command of how private, Corporal, sergeant, the list, and general, and platoon leader, and squad leader, and the battalions and regiments was so confusing to me. That was the hardest thing about that. Everything else seemed 
I can do it physically. I could do some of the things very well. I was okay with it. You know, some of the equipment was heavy because I was smaller, but that was my problem was just the, the fucking chain of command and yeah, all the information in my brain. I feel bad for like, I know you, uh, Rich, uh, I mean, Warden, you, you had to like do lieutenant bullshit at like the end of the day. You had to go look at maps and go do shit in the middle of the night with like Nixon and, and, and Winters, didn't you? Yeah. We had a different kind of camper. I, I, I feel bad for, 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 you know, I do think that it felt rudderless at the time, but I honestly think now that it was sort of inspired, really. I think, I think it, it, it made the show, and I think that, that it bonded us. We, I don't think we'd be here, actually, nattering now if we hadn't been to the camp. I agree, uh, I but I think, you're, I think your assessment of it being rudderless, I mean, I don't think that's a wrong assessment, especially if you're trying to put yourself back in the time of what that was. Rich, your one word for Del Dye. My word, I think it's weird. Just, if I'm describing in a word, I say paternal. Because I found something very, very, very reassuring in the sort of hard-assed, hard-nosed leadership of Dale Dye. Because at that moment, at that time, doing that job, preparing for that show, that Richard Spate needed that guy to be that guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you want to be a great football player, you need the coach who gets you to that spot in whatever way that coach does it. And I thought Dale Dye. Dale Dye was the right guy for Rich Spate and the right guy for our platoon. I think the right guy for the series. I think a book could be written about Dale Dye, about how Hollywood movies and their perception of war and their treatment of war hinges on Dale Dye's involvement in productions. I think he's a valuable piece of American cinematic history. When you go back and look at the movies he's had a, a hand in, in terms of how he's prepared the men to be the men they're supposed to be on that screen, reenacting those events. And I agree, Richard, wholeheartedly. And I don't think he does it. I know he's, he, he, he's got a lot of kind of, uh, he's not short on confidence, obviously, an assertion. But actually, he's not arrogant, if that makes any sense about his career, I don't think. But I very specifically back up that one thing Richard said, which is that I think cinema... There's pre-Dale Dye in terms of war movies, and there's, and there's sort of uh, Perry and post-Dale Dye. He's changed it. He did change it. And maybe, maybe with, uh, Band of Brothers, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm not impartial. <laughs> maybe Band of Brothers is the sort of seminal moment for him where he it's had his Sergeant Pepper, isn't full it? Creative, full creative uh, input. Well, yeah, he didn't have it, it with the Pacific because everyone was turning up. Someone said, like, with a letter from Mummy saying you couldn't do the boot camp because they'd heard about Band of <laughs> Brothers. Um, so yeah, yeah, like in terms of the creative, that was, that was so funny. That was in Baston, and he, he we were talking to him in the middle of the day, and he and he was saying, someone said, "Have you ever had any groups of actors where it didn't work?" And he said, "Yeah, the Pacific. There was one guy, but I'm not telling you who it was." And then late in the evening, we'd had a few whiskeys. He told us who it was and, yeah. and how it sort of infected um, the whole the whole cast because this one guy had his letter from his mum or something. Yeah. It just sort of spread around like wildfire. And you could see in his eyes that Dale regrets that he, he almost let this situation unfold that wasn't his, wasn't his fault, you know, because we talked about in the last show, some of these actors had heard of what happened to you guys on band, that they got their agents to write them in this thing saying, you can't shout at me too much. Wow. You know why that's bullshit, though? Is it because, because he shouted? Because the night march was a clusterfuck? Because we were freaking out in our, in our barracks sometimes. 
it's because we did those things, because we had to climb those hurdles, because we had to wade through that muck that we ended up coming out the other side, able to do the job we were able to do. So, you know, if you're not willing to sweat during practice, don't expect to win the game. Like, I, I feel like Dale Dye has the right philosophy on the whole thing. When we first arrived and we're all sitting, we've gotten off the bus, we've got our haircuts, we've got our gear on, but we haven't started boot, boot camp yet. And we're all sitting in the uh, mess hall. And Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg come in to give us a pep talk. And they helicoptered in. And Tom Hanks has this great speech about congratulations, you're all here. And this is American actors, British actors, and all the special ability guys who are filling in Easy Company, right? So it's a bunch of dudes, it's 60, 80 guys. And he's like, congratulations, you guys have made it here. And this is all awesome. And you're about to do boot camp. I've done this boot camp with Private Ryan and Dale Dice in charge. Um, you're actors. You don't know the military. You're going to learn the military. Soak up everything uh, that you are given. You're not going to get shot after this. This is an acting exercise in how to learn how to be a soldier. However, make no mistake. Do what you're told to do when you were told to do it by the people who I brought in to tell you to do things. And if you do not do those things to the best of your ability when you were told to do them, there is somebody back in Los Angeles who will pass you in the air as you fly home. Because if Bill guy says you're not cutting the mustard, then you're on a plane home. And he essentially, in front of us all, handed the firing power to Dale Dye in not so many words, or in so many words, basically saying, do this right. If he calls me, that's the only phone call I need to get to know. To, to quote Saving Private Ryan, earn it. Literally, yeah. earn it. Yeah, essentially. And I it wasn't that- a guaranteed role, actually, I don't think. I mean, honestly, I think, that, I think that's true. I remember taking that. I don't remember the speech, but I remember taking that away from it. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, yeah we, we don't just get moment. to go, sorry, I don't feel like this. Yeah, and there was that moment for everybody going, Roger that, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then no, we had to get it. We weren't all there, to, you know, because people talk about, well, did Meg, is, is it Meg Lieberman? Did she assemble the greatest cast of television by sweat equity and years of training? Yes. Uh, were Steven Spielberg, Tony Toe, and, and Tom Hanks incredibly astute in finding guys who got the role and emanated the characterizations of people from that period. Yes. Did Dale Dye's boot camp bond those guys together and strip away any preconceived notions of what it meant to be a World War II soldier and take the LA and the London out of these boys and make them a unit of men ready to fight a war? Yes. It's all of those things. It's everything. It's all those dominoes had to fall in order for that group to be as bonded as it was and for us to get on a phone call or a Skype call or a Zoom call to Dexter's point, I haven't seen Dexter in 15 years. It feels like I haven't seen Dexter in 15 minutes. But that's, <laughs> that speaks to who Dexter is. It speaks to Dexter and Richards and Tim's relationships. And it speaks to how this production worked tirelessly to be sure that we bonded and understood our, our mission. Ross? I've always, it, it was a genius stroke from the producers to put us through that because it's what the boys are saying. It was all manufactured that way. And the way that the show uh, was accepted around the world was because of that boot camp experience. Putting us through that, breaking us, bonding us, figuring out how to strip down your M1, you know, how to throw a grenade, all that shit was so imperative to make the show what it was. So Cam Dye actually gets, um, you know, a lot of respect from us anyway from day one. But even later on, I don't think he gets as much shine as he should. Because mm-hmm. between him and the cadre, putting that experience together, good, bad, indifferent, was absolutely the pinnacle that made the show what it was. 
Matt Setter will sum up boot camp. Yeah, it's uh, it's extraordinary what boot camp allowed us to go through and, and the relationships that it let us create. And it gave us a little bit of metal uh, that we could lean on. Uh, so when we came to the series, like uh, Dale Dye would say, we're not actor weenies anymore. We we <laughs> done some sort of hazing and we we'd done a rite of passage, so to speak. Yeah. It was like those little moments in boot camp where we all kind of got on each other's nerves and, you know, in each other's space, uh, it, it allowed us to, to create relationships that carried over into the to the miniseries. For me, it was like another, another acting exercise. Uh, I don't know what it was for you guys, uh, but we were all afraid we'd lose our jobs. I think that's why we did low crawl, butt crawl, uh, atomic sit-ups. I still have a hernia from atomic sit-ups, you know, mild hernia in my stomach uh, right above my navel. If you want to feel it, I'll let you guys feel it later. Um, but <laughs> you can help me push back in my, uh, my what is that, my large intestine? Man, this, anyway. is, this is lockdown. <laughs> That's the best offer I've had in the last month. Yeah. <laughs> we got back on the bus at the end of the 10 days. And I remember that they got us off the bus um, uh, sort of you know, a few minutes away from the, the Hatfield Studios and they marched us in as a company. And I remember that everybody that was working on Band of Brothers stopped what they were doing, all the production offices, and they all hang out, hung out the window and watched these actors who had left, you know, making jokes and, and laughing and, 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 um, and, and, and kind of taking, taking it all in jest. They marched the, us off the bus and we marched back in as a company of soldiers. And I think it was, a, I wish somebody had caught that moment because it was really special to watch actors that had left 10 days before yeah. and came back as a unit, you know. Nick, Aaron, you were Popeye and you were late and you suffered for it, didn't you? Oh, am I allowed to say it? Yeah, yeah sure. It's the internet, man. You can say whatever you say want. Say what you want. I swear all the time. It's great. I was doing a play, um, so I was late. I was like three or four days late. So they were already been through a lot of shit before I got there. Um, I showed up at Hatfield. I just come, just finished doing a play. I showed up at Hatfield. They stuck me in my in my uniform. I'm getting driven to the barracks in the Mercedes. I think this is fucking. This is great. This is great. And I get that as soon as I pull up the barracks, the back door literally gets ripped open, and it was Farnsworth. And he's just like, get the fuck out of the car. I'm like, I'm all flustered, being all actory. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So he said, get your shit from the trunk. I get my bag. And he's like, get your fucking soft cover. And I didn't know what a soft cover was. And he just kind of, he, he makes me run all the way across where they're doing, P they, they're doing PLF. Um, and all the guys are fucking eyeballing me, like the new, the new kid in school. Um, so he makes me run in the back, says, choose, choose a fucking bed. I chose a bed, came back down, all flustered. He's like, where's your fucking soft cover? I said, like, what the fuck is your soft cover? It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking soft cover. So I run back up, I get my hat, and they take me over to where all the guys are doing PLFs. And there's a whole fucking line of these gnarly, fucking unshaven, tired-looking motherfuckers. Staring at me, just you know, I just showed up in a Mercedes. I probably had a cup of coffee, you know, 20 minutes previous. And, and none of these fuckers would, would speak to me for 24 hours. <laughs> this fucking eyeballing me. Everyone's just eyeballing me, and it was really pissing me off. So nobody would speak to me. I was, it was horrible. Fucking fuck crimes. I just remember thinking, man, if anyone's gonna get it, the ginger one's gonna get it. I'm gonna fucking get it. <laughs> 
Easy, easy. You you want that? You want that? But it was just the, just the way, and it, and it it went on for like a, a whole day, just nobody speaking to me. It was horrible, and I tried to make conversations, and they would just be like, "Shush, shut up." And it was really, I hated it. I fucking hated it. I was just thinking, this is shit. <laughs> and uh, I just, yeah, just, it was, it was tough, man. It was tough. But, you know, I had to get my head down. I had a lot of catching up to do. They, they'd done a hell of a lot of work, you know, in those three or four days. So I had to get my shit together and, uh, and catch up. It was, but it was a great experience. Um, yeah, it's just fucking, I just, the only one I remember hating, Scott Grimes, I just all remember is his red hair. If I don't remember any of these faces, the fucking ginger ones get in it. <laughs> what was great about that is I had, I no matter, you know, he could he could point me out as a person that gives him shit, but I had fucking 50 other guys that had my right, He would have come on well and stopped that. I actually much. felt bad. I remember specifically, because I did, I'm not that person that's going to, I'll, I'll jump. I'll go behind Rich Faith and go, <laughs> yeah, you're fucking, you don't belong here. But I'm not going to do it on my own. And I felt bad for Nick. I remember his the look on his yeah. face. Let's just finish with Jason O'Mara, who played Thomas Meehan, because you literally didn't arrive till the start of filming. Um, and that was tough, wasn't it? I was handed a, a package, you know, that was uh, all the research material. Um, a couple of days in advance of shooting uh, where I got, you know, photographs, but also his his D-Day letter home, which is beautiful. It's, you know, uh, that was like a real eye opener and, and really helped me get into the character. Um, and, uh, but no, I didn't go on boot camp with any of them. You know, I think it was, it was decided that my character died too early on to really invest in doing boot camp with, um, which meant it was really awkward for me for the first few days because um, I was also the commander of Easy Company but I didn't know any of the men and they didn't know me, you know, and they all came in with their Corcoran boots nicely broken in after boot camp, but mine were brand new. I tried to break them in myself, but you know, it's, it's really hard to do unless you actually <laughs> go to boot camp. And, uh, and so a few, a few of the, few of the soldiers started calling me new, new boots thinking I was just some kind of, you know, new guy, but, I was actually their leader and, and it was only later on in my first day and second day that they realized that I was their boss, you know, I was their commander. And, um, and it was really only after a big scene in the hangar where I go through Operation Overlord where they, they realized that that was the case, you know. Um, and I think I got, I got a bit more respect after that. But... Um, it was hard going in as, as a lead because everyone was sort of acting, playing their roles and their rank. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, it's hard to go in as, you know, top dog when nobody knows who you are. I had a big speech. I had to stand up in front of whatever it was, 200 people, um, and look like I know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I didn't know anybody at that point. They didn't know me. Um, it was freezing. So it was actually me focusing on my uh, mouth not completely shutting down, you know, <laughs> and my teeth not chattering that got me through it, you know. Um, 
and it was my big moment. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to blow it. And I was, I was pretty, I was pretty nervous. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it, it, once I realized, once Phil Alden Robinson came over to me after a couple of the takes and said, look, it's really good. You're, it, you're doing fine. He just gave me a couple of things to think about. Um, and I played them and it really, it really started to come together for me, but it was very cold. Uh, we were all very tired and this was day, I don't think it was day one, but I think it was day two, you know, mm. and, uh, it was very early in the morning. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it wasn't easy. Join us tomorrow when our Band of Brothers cast reunion continues and we're going to start talking about filming um, and when the replacement showed up and the hazing, which frankly is uh, disturbing and hilarious in equal measure. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Um, it will help us keep going in the aftermath of this nightmare, um, which we'd very much like to do because we're having a great time. All you have to do is go to www.historyhack.podbean.com com and obviously don't forget to follow us on twitter at hack underscore history there now follows a public service announcement i'm horatia hornblower and i'm archie kennedy the simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders indeed the regulations are very clear in the matter it is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise you don't want to end up getting flogged Good day to you. Good day to you, Brian. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.